When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Sports Complex with Patrick Davis on the Horn. Sports Complex on a Wednesday afternoon. We got a lot more Texas football to get into today as we start to get ready for Alabama. Going to Alabama on Saturday. Going to be a big game. We'll talk more about that. Patrick's Big Fat Poll of the Day. Jerry Hamilton was on E and Rob B. Hook him up this morning. We'll get to some of that audio talking about the recruiting at Texas and Alabama. Get into a little bit more NFL news, some NFL predictions. Get us ready for NFL starting tomorrow, Thursday. Chiefs and Lions, all of that, and your text, 512-337-3776, 512-337-3776 is the text line. Join us on there, join the conversation, uh, and we'll be reading those throughout as well. But let's get to some sound and some talk about the Texas Longhorns taking on the Alabama Crimson Tide on Saturday. It is the conversation of uh, most people right now. Uh, in the in either place, but I think both Alabama and Texas. As much as Alabama doesn't want to, you know, lower themselves to Texas level in their eyes, I think that they know this year after last year was so close. They want to make a statement. They know that the SEC, after we saw what happened to LSU, after we saw what happened to Florida, that they want to stick out. That they're ready to be back and take their place. They're not happy that Georgia's been there for a couple of years as the national champions. They want to take their crown back. So they want to make a statement against Texas. But this is a big game for both teams in a lot of ways. For Alabama, this is kind of a statement, just get back to where they were. For Texas, you know, you're not going to say this is a weird back game. It's not because week two doesn't, you know, there's not a lot riding. I mean, there's a lot riding on it, but this doesn't knock you out of a college football playoff spot at all. And in college football, every game has to matter at that level for it to have that full impact on your season. It's, it, it's not fully there for Texas or for Alabama. They can still, if they run and win their conference, they're still in the college football playoff uh, if they don't lose another game. But when you're trying to judge where your team is, when you're trying to judge recruiting-wise, it is going to be a huge game. We'll get into that a little bit more in the next segment. But when you just look at a guy like Quinn Ewers and his confidence going into the rest of this season, if Quinn Ewers comes out, stays in the whole game, plays like he did at the beginning of Alabama last year, if he can come out and have that statement game on in primetime against a top-tier defense, 
it changes the narrative about him for the rest of the season, and that helps change it for the entire rest of the team. Because if you can get Quinn Ewers to be playing at a higher level, and part of that goes on to Sark and what he's able to do of putting Quinn in a position to win. We talk about Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers, what they're able to do uh, you know, with different quarterbacks and rotating quarterbacks because it's an extremely quarterback-friendly system. Sark doesn't always run that because Sark runs what he wants to run if he was a quarterback. He's a quarterback. He wants to run his offense, and that's what he thinks he could do. So you want to see Quinn Ewers, you want to work with him together to put him in that position. And I think when you look at what Colorado did to TCU, you're going to want to try and do with a little bit of that of just trying to find and take what Alabama gives you. They're not going to give you a bunch. They're a better defense than TCU is, so they're going to give you, you know, they're not going to give you a ton, but you're going to have to go in and find those pieces and work to make those uh, a usable uh, sample size to get you down the field. You're going to need the running game, sure. You're going to need your receivers. we got some sound of Sark talking about his receivers. I'll play for you in just a second. But you're going to need Quinn Ewers to play at a higher level because if Quinn Ewers can play at that higher level, then it changes the dynamic for the rest of the season to stopping Quinn Ewers first and then allowing your running backs to get a little bit more space, allowing, allowing your deep game to then open up further and I know, you know, he's not a great deep ball passer, has not shown the ability yet, at least, to be a great deep ball passer. So if you can shift it to get everybody so worried that you're pulling safeties in, then you can throw it back over the top. And that's what Sark wants to do. But I really what you want to see is Quinn Ewers be so dominant on the short game, in the intermediate game, hitting guys on the sideline, finding guys that are open, going through his progressions that you're going to be able to see then single coverage in the downfield, and that's where Sark Sark may be able to get those balls that he wants to have in explosive plays. I I just want to see Quinn step up and play like he did at the beginning of that game when it's man coverage and trusting his receivers because we know Texas has the receivers. We know that Xavier Worthy came back and looked like the Xavier Worthy we had seen his freshman season and at parts of last season – not the end, but what different parts of it. We saw that Xavier Worthy. Here's Sark talking about Xavier Worthy at his press conference Monday to give you an idea of how you feel of a guy that's been through a lot and, you know, some people kind of wrote off after last season. To see him come out of Rice, he needs to have a big game on Saturday. But here's what Steve Tarkeesian had to say about Xavier Worthy. Yeah, I think, you know, I'm, I'm glad you guys kind of got a glimpse of that Saturday, you know, I, I just feel like he's had an awesome off season. You know, he really has recommitted himself um, to his regiment, to his teammates, to the to the program. I think the guy's having more fun now than he's ever had here playing football. Um, and I think he's playing fast with energy. I think he's got good leadership. Um, and uh, quite frankly, in the third quarter, I felt like he kind of ignited the offense with the punt return. He made a couple nice plays on the perimeter. That uh, ultimately that opens up AD for a touchdown and opens up uh, JT for a touchdown. And so um, I just think what he's providing day in and day out, nothing changes for him. He's the first guy on the practice field every day. He's one of the last ones to leave. He sits in the front row in every meeting. He takes great notes. But 
the personality of him is really back out. He's smiling so much more. Um, you can almost feel like the, there's a weight lifted off his shoulders and he's enjoying playing the game. And, and he's reaping the benefits of it, but, but we are too. Yeah, we're, we're getting the best version of him right now, which is, which is a really good version. And that's what you want to see from Xavier Worthy. And, and that's why you need to have, when you talk about Quinn Ewers having a big game, you need Xavier Worthy. You need your, your star players to play in this game at a level that sets the tone for the rest of the season. That sets the tone for everybody else on this roster. That sets the tone for this team. And Xavier Worthy, to see him come out and play and be smiling and to be happy after the season he had last year. And, and you can say during the offseason he works hard. We know, and a lot of guys do. There's a lot of these times he's in the front of every meeting. You go, yeah, well, that's everybody else. And he gets to claim it because he's the he's the star player. And so if someone else is in his seat, he gets to go take it back. You know, I, I think that that's... You can only take that so far. You have to see it on the field as well. So you want to see that. But I think there's a lot of guys who can practice well. You want to be able to see it on the field. You want to see, be able to see him get out there. And he didn't necessarily have the most explosive plays because Rice allowed some stuff underneath. They didn't want to get killed over the top. So they allowed some stuff underneath. They, they were bringing a lot of pressure where you were able to get man-on-man. He's getting out there. You like to be able to see him take advantage of one-on-one matchups because you feel he's going to be able to have some. Because not only do you have Xavier Worthy now, you have Adonai Mitchell. And what he looks like, and we saw him in the spring game look phenomenal. We've seen him against Rice. He looked good at Rice as well. Uh, Adonai Mitchell going back, playing in the SEC again, coming from Georgia, understands what this game means, understands what it means to set a precedent early in the season with a big win. Here's what Sark had to say Monday about Adonai Mitchell. Well, he's been a great addition. Uh, you know, I, I really think the thing, AD provides a lot of energy to that receiver room. Um, you know, he, he's been in the fire. He's been in some big games, made some big plays in big games. Uh, so I think he, he, you know, brings kind of some instant credibility, but yet he backs it up with his, with his work ethic and his play. He's, he's very smart. Um, you know, what he, what he provides is now when you start cheating safeties to Xavier, you know, a one-on-one matchup with with Ad Mitchell's not ideal, and he can make you pay. And so, you know, hopefully, as as we grow throughout the season, we find that really nice balance of utilizing kind of all three of our frontline guys, um, with Jay Witt being included, and the tight ends, and then you know how we keep bringing along Ajante and and those guys, so that we can keep continuing to spread the ball around. And um, there's going to be games where we're going to have to kind of kickstart ourselves like we did Saturday and we had to kind of get it to Xavier to get us going. But I think the balance of all those guys and then their ability to win one-on-one matchups is going to be big. And that's where your balance is going to be. And we, don't, we haven't even thrown in JT Sanders. JT Sanders wasn't hugely in the mix on Saturday, didn't play a ton of snaps, but came out and played well. Didn't, you know, we, we didn't see JT Sanders that we saw last year, but I think that's by design. The same way we didn't see Keelan Robinson the same way we did last year. I think that was all by design, and you don't want to show off too much. You can show off Xavier Worthy. Everyone on everyone who's watched any Texas football knows Sark is going to use Xavier Worthy. You're not giving up any information whatsoever to Alabama by throwing the ball to Xavier Worthy as many times as you can. I think everybody knew you were going to throw to Adonai Mitchell. Everybody, you, you know, you're throwing to Jay Whitmore in this game. I wish you would do it more during the season, but I, it may go down a little bit just because there's these other wide receivers. But that wide receiver core is going to be able to help Quinn because that wide receiver core can only go as far as a quarterback's going to take him. 
And that's a combination between Ken, Quinn Ewers. It's a com- uh, combination of Quinn Ewers and Steve Sarkeesian. You need Sark to be able to call the plays for Quinn. You need Sark to be able to put Quinn in a situation to win in this Alabama game. And we know what Nick Saban is going to do for his quarterback and Tommy Reese, the offensive coordinator. We know what they're going to do. You need Sark to put Quinn Ewers in a position to not have the wide receivers win, but to have Quinn Ewers win, and we know what the wide receivers can do. We know that the wide receivers, if you put the ball where it needs to be, the odds, the, the majority of the time, that these wide receivers are going to be able to take care of business. These wide receivers will get the job done. Not 100%. No one's 100%. But they're going to be able to get the job done. They'll be able to get a little bit of separation. Now, he did talk in his press conference that there are some times in that game that the routes weren't perfect. You need to clean that up a little bit. Now, if that's the route they're running in practice and it's the same route and, and they still not hit him, that's one thing. Uh, I think there was, uh, you know, a little bit more physicality. I don't think they want to throw a lot of flags in that game. I don't expect them to throw a ton of flags in this game. I don't expect a lot of flags to be thrown ever. You can't play the kind of matador offense that was very popular for a few years of under-throwing a lot of deep balls on a third or fourth down because you know you can get pass interference. I don't think they're going to try and do that as much this year, and in Texas is definitely not going to get those calls, so you can't do that. But you can look and put a situation where you have to understand what Quinn, where Quinn is at. And he's in a better place than he was last year because last year he was still coming in this offense. And as great as he looked at the beginning of that game, we didn't get to a second half of Quinn. We didn't get to see a second half adjustments by Alabama. That's what we're seeing now coming out at the beginning of this is second half adjustments. That's what we get to see. Sark was asked, though, about the difference in Quinn this year versus Bama versus last year. As he's got another year to you know learning, another year uh, of of gameplay underneath him, he knows a little bit better what to expect from Alabama. He knows a little bit better what to expect from himself, from his team. He should be able to read defenses better. Now we didn't see him read defenses. Him and the O line did not read defenses great in in week one. I, I that's still a question of it doesn't make sense of how bad the reads were. That if it was the communication just wasn't there. Or if they were just really trying to focus on fundamentals and were hoping Rice didn't come out and show them that, like that's kind of what you have to figure is they said, let's stick to fundamentals in this, and and they're not going to throw anything. They're not going to be up there throwing ghost fronts. Why would they do that? Why would they disguise coverage? Why would they disguise blitzes? They don't need to do that. They're Rice. That's not what they do. And, and that's the only thing you can figure is they were not prepared in the game plan at all for that, which you have to be prepared for now. Luckily, that happens week one. Luckily, Rice does that. It helps you out a lot because now you can be prepared for it uh, going into week two in a big game. But here's here's Sark talking about the, the difference in Quinn from last year going into the Alabama game and where everyone's you know viewpoint of this game was not the same as it is this year. This year, is, Texas expected to win, at least on Texas' side. Texas fans want Texas to win this game. Expect Texas to win this game. Expect them to be able to play. Now, no, I don't think you expect them to be a blowout, but they're expecting them, Texas, to have a shot to win this and follow through on that shot. Here's what Sark had to say about Quinn going into year two against Alabama. I think there's just a level of confidence in Quinn that's different. Um, you know, a year ago, he's making his second career start, and 
probably still learning our offense, quite frankly, and the nuances of our offense. I think there's a level of confidence in him uh, this year around and, and focused in on, you know, how does he how does he operate plays in, 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 in the system in a way to help the other guys and not because he's got a pretty firm grasp of what he's doing. Um, but to me, the biggest thing showed up Saturday was just the maturity, uh, the way he rebounded coming out of halftime um, after a couple frustrating things. I know the quarterback – takes a lot of the brunt of when things aren't just clicking smoothly on offense. But we, we blew some protections that weren't on him, and he took some unnecessary hits and sacks that, that weren't on him. We didn't run a couple routes very well, especially on a couple deep balls when you go back and watch the tape um, and how we ran them. And then the, the throw looks errant, but quite frankly, the route wasn't exactly where it was supposed to be either. And so, but that's the life you live as a quarterback, right? You you assume you assume the blame, right? And then you give the praise when it's good. And so, uh, but for Quinn, that didn't rattle him. You know, we got back at halftime, we got things kind of kind of rectified, and uh, came out and played a really clean first three drives there in the second half. Uh, so I think that he's in a good space and ready to go this week. Yeah, I, I the one part in here which I do agree with a lot is a deciding difference between Quinn Ewers last year and this year was his his energy, his maturity, and how he came out in that second half where clearly things were not going how he wanted. Clearly he thought, hey, I may be done by half. I may, I may be able to go sit on the bench by halftime because I'm going to be up by 45 points at halftime. Oh, we're going to dominate them. No problem. And for, you know, to not have that, to be fighting to just get a double-digit lead at halftime and push the push the lead out a little bit, kicking field goals at the end of halves, like that's not where you wanted to be at Quinn Ewers. And so there was a lot of growth in being able to rebound. Now you have to increase that even more every single game now. You have to be able to have a series and go on the sideline. And they, they talk, Sark talks about moving uh, Milwee's quarterback's coach and bring him down on the sideline so he can actually have conversations and kind of calm Quinn Ewers down, get him to reset his focus. It's not an easy thing to do, especially not when you're young, especially not when you're going to be in a hostile environment of Alabama. So he's going to have to work on those that the growth and maturity that he was able to go into a locker room, sit down, reset his mind. He was able to do that. He's going to have to do that at an accelerated rate on Saturday, he's got to do an accelerated rate throughout the season, especially on road games where it's very easy to get in your head when someone's sitting, you know, 20 feet behind you calling you every name in the book and someone found a thread on Reddit where they know you're, you know, no personal information about you and they may be spewing that back at you. You know, you've got to be able to be tough enough and, and resolved enough to go out there and do it. I think he's getting closer to that, but you want to see that. Now, on the on the other parts of that, it's being able to know the game well enough and have confidence in his play calling and have confidence in his reads that he can go out there and make the right plays at the right time. And as we, much we talk about Quinn, we have to talk about Alabama and Bama's quarterback and their offense and what, what we're going to see on the other side of the ball, because this is not a one-sided quarterback. We don't know what we're going to see. I think people wanted to see Quinn Ewers come out and everybody prove, and we all said, oh, he's the guy. But Alabama has some questions to answer, too. Here's Stark talking about Alabama, uh, their quarterback situation, and their offense. 
Well, Jalen's a fantastic player. Uh, you know, I got a chance to recruit him out of high school. Um, you know, he, he's got a, a dynamic arm. Uh, he can make every throw in the book, it, off platform, on the run, doesn't matter. He's a, a tremendous runner. He's an elite runner with the ball in his hand, uh, with his speed and his physicality. Uh, and he's highly competitive. He's a really good leader. And the thing probably that concerns me the most about that is they're very balanced. You know, they can run the ball with the runner. Uh, they've got really good speed on the perimeter with Isaiah Bond and uh, Jermaine Burton and, and that crew that they have there. They utilize their tight ends and they got a physical offensive line. And so you put all that together and then ultimately the threat of the quarterback run. You know, they've got a multitude of quarterback runs, whether they're zone reads, power reads, quarterback direct runs, quarterback scrambles on third downs. Uh, that's probably the biggest thing that's the toughest to prepare for that we're going to have to spend extra time of how do we, how do we control and contain the quarterback with his legs. The, the rest of the offense is the offense, which you see, and it's good, and it's it's very well designed, and they've got really good pieces. But the quarterback run, uh, and no one they're going to run the quarterback. It's it's not a secret. What they did in week one is, is you know we're going to get something different, and that's okay. Um, but but you know making sure that we are accounting for number four and all of the quarterback run games is going to be a real key to the drill. So there's Sark talking about. Jalen Milrow and what's going to be happening with the Alabama offense as well, where you're worried a bit about their run game at quarterback. And with Quinn Ewers, we've had to worry. We've seen that Quinn Ewers now feels like he can run. And against Alabama, that may not be the best idea always. You may want to throw the ball out of bounds sometimes, especially, you know, you want to be able to take your read, sit in the pocket, may not be the best option for him. Texas is going to have to figure out with Jalen Milrow, but I think that's where you look at it and say what you showed against Alabama with, or what you showed against Rice with, with Quinn Ewers running, I think that may be a red herring as much as I don't think Jalen Milrow, I think you're going to try and throw the ball more if you're Alabama until you get in situations where you have to do it. We do get a couple of texts in. Remember, you can join the conversation whenever you want. 512-337-3776. Uh, two texts that are basically similar things. How many times do you think they actually checked into a different play? Was they're going against Rice? Uh, they had to run a base and no matter what defense was presented. Maybe Sark didn't want to practice for the defense just to see how that line would treat them. Good test to determine how their training is going. You want to practice for everything because you don't want your quarterback to get hurt. So at a certain point, you can't always just trust for your your offensive line, I I hope they'll figure it out, and we don't lose the quarterback that we're really relying on to win us a national championship in Sark's eyes. It, I don't want him to get take five six hits he doesn't need to take because we're going to test the O line. So I don't think they didn't practice against it. I think uh, you know, and I don't think that they. I'm asking them to audible in a different place. I'm asking them to check protections. And not let guys come through unprotected. And that's really the problem that we saw on both of those, because neither one of those are allow you to not check down and just miss guys that are coming in. And, you know, not have anyone in there to protect the quarterback. You know, unprotected the quarterback. And even in a even on a screen, you'd like to show that you're gonna touch him. Maybe put a hand on a chest. To, to slow him down that half step. So Quinn Ewers, there was a screen pass on fourth down uh, that they tried to run, a little out screen pass that w- did fell apart because the pressure was too much too quick because they sent too many guys and he threw it at the feet. So I, I don't know. I think there was parts, there's some truth to both of those things that were said. I do think there was some truth that they weren't going to check down and audible and do a lot of things against Rice because 
they figured they could do what they were going to do and still win. And you don't want to show it. I think there is something to be said that they, you know, didn't want to overburden their offensive line with a system that they didn't think that Rice was going to run as much as they did. And once they had early success with it, it's a little too late to realize we should have taught them this and should have really drilled down, hey, this is what we're, the looks we're going to be seeing at. I, I think Alabama's a little bit easier. Now you know they do have a new OC, they have a new DC, so there are going to be things you weren't expected to see, and you do want to be ready for that. You do want to practice for it. We don't know what's coming at us. Be ready for it. But if that's what they were doing, that, that's an F. That's an F on just your natural training, and you should have a little bit more game planning done on those. But I, I there's one other couple play real quick. You know what? Actually, I'll tell you what. Let's get to Patrick's Big Fat Poll. We'll come back. We'll play a couple more clips for you. Uh, we'll read more of your text. 512-337-3776 is the text line if you want to join the conversation there. I, I do like – I think both of you guys that texted in are somewhat on the right track. But, again, it's when you go through these, it's trying to figure out how much – none of them make full sense because none of them are good when you realize you can't let your quarterback get killed. And unprotected, you know, untouched rushers is a good way to get your quarterback killed. We're going to go into Patrick's Big Fat Poll today, though, uh, talking uh, about something else for a second. We'll change the subject for a second, then we'll get back to Texas football in the next segment. Patrick's Big Fat Poll of the Day on the Horn. Patrick's Big Fat Poll of the Day. Yesterday, we asked you yesterday uh, about who was the MVP of the Rice game. Overwhelmingly, you guys put in Tavondre Sweat. Tavondre Sweat said he got a C. So if that is a C, Tavondre Sweat, who gets a the MVP for the Texas game, I am all about that. Let him step up and let Tavondre Sweat go after Alabama and try and get after Jalen Milrow. I'm all about that. The big fat poll today today, Jose Altuve making history, gets four gets home runs and four straight at bats. He hits in the ninth inning uh, of the game yesterday or two days ago. Yesterday hits home runs in the first three innings, uh, five out of six at bats in a row. He gets a home run. It is uh, he is playing out of his mind. The Astros are averaging six point two six runs per game since he returned off the injured list on July twenty six. And by the way, we can say the AOS leading Astros. First time we could say that this season. Uh, they're going to be taking on the Rangers. Big game tonight. 6.30 pregame right here on the horn. Taking over for me a little bit early. Uh, Verlander and Scherzer. I'm sure if you want to listen to that game, you already know. It's Verlander versus Scherzer. There's a bunch of weird stats and qualifiers that everybody put on their stats, but that's happening. Patrick's Big Fat Poll today. Day. Join the conversation. 512-337-3776. Who is the greatest male athlete under 5'8"? I went with 5'8". I think that's about it. Jose Altuve ranges 5'5", five, 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 five to 5'6". Five, I think some people may try and throw him in there at 5'7", but I don't believe he's a 5'7". But I'm going to go under 5'8". For the greatest male athlete of all time, under 5'8". There's some good names out there. So we know Jose Altuve's in there. Jose Altuve is up there. He is a He's getting closer. He's getting closer and closer to a Hall of Famer, and I don't want to get on my soapbox about this. I know uh, people hate it, and I've been told at parties that it's not a fun co- party conversation, but I will stand by. There is more evidence that Jose Altuve was not a cheater than there's evidence that he was. Now, the rest of the team, holy crap, they cheated a bunch. I agree that happened. But there's way more evidence that the Yankees, Dodgers, and, uh, and Red Sox – all were cheating the same way the, the Astros were, just not as fully advanced. Uh, Al Jose Altuve, though, the buzzer thing was a completely made-up fictional thing. He just didn't want to take off his jersey. I don't know why, but he didn't want to. It's a made-up thing. And there's also tons of video 
of him signaling off when you hear the trash can and him yelling at the bench and telling him to stop. So, and if you listen to the the beats, there's a website that had them all up. I don't know if it's still active, but he's not there. But we'll get past that. Jose Altuve is on the list. Muggsy Bogues is 5'3". Spud Webb was 5'7". How about some UFC fighters? Demetrius Johnson, 5'3". Original flyweight champion. Defended it 11 times in a row. Demetrius Johnson. Henry Suedo, 5'4". He's a UFC champion, an Olympic gold medalist. Only guy to ever do that. How about over in baseball? Joe Morgan, 5'7". Joe Morgan won the MVP in in 75, 76. Wins World Series in 75 and 76. Joe Morgan, one of the greatest Hall of Famers. And how about this name? How about this name? Lionel Messi. Messi is 5'7". Messi's in this group, man. He's in the under 5'8 group. The short Kings group, we're calling it. (laughs) I know some people want Deuce Vaughn to be in this list. He's not there yet. You know, Darren Sproles, I don't know if he's going to get in there. There's not a lot in football. There's not a lot in football. I did say male. I did say male. So, Mary Lou Retton is not going to be in there. I I got to qualify it with male because there's female. There's a bunch of really good gymnast female athletes who are under 5'8 because they're just – Women are shorter than men. I don't want to be sexist here, but I'm pretty sure that's women on average are shorter than men. Uh, so that is our question. Who is the greatest male athlete of all time under 5'8"? Messi's in that group. Jose Altuve's in that group. Joe Morgan's in that group. Some UFC fighters. But tell us who we got under 5'8". I like some of the answers that are coming in. We'll read those in a little bit, but send those in. 512-337-3776. We come back. We'll get a little bit more audio from Sark. We've got some audio from Jerry Hamilton on Ian Rod B this morning and a whole lot more coming up here on the Sports Complex on the Horn, 1019 AM 1260, the Horn app, and at hornfm.com. The Sports Complex on the Horn. Back of the Sports Complex in the Horn. Loving the text line hit lighting up for us right now. 512-337-3776. Who is the greatest male athlete of all time under 5'8"? You guys are sending in some good stuff. We're going to get to that in a minute. Uh, we're playing working songs. It's Labor Day week. Labor Day short week, so we're playing some working songs for you. I always got, I always got crap for when I was on the road with the band touring. That I would put in Huey Lewis CDs when we are on the road. This is before streaming. And, uh, like, Huey Lewis. Man. And then we get, like, Next Town Over and everybody's singing along to it. People hating on Huey Lewis. The guy's a legend. One of the best. Huey Lewis and the news. Uh, there used to be a band here in town. My buddy George DeVore did it. And uh, they would do Chewy Spewis and the Screws every Halloween. And I miss those shows. Those were some fun shows seeing a George DeVore tribute band. Not very uh, not very common. I don't know how many George DeVore tribute bands there were, but they were the best. Uh, let's get back into a little Texas football talk. We will get into your answers uh, just in a little bit. We want to play a couple of other things for you. Uh, one of the things that Sark talked about on Monday was about balancing getting into a giant game against Alabama 
and what you need to do to be ready for playing in Alabama, getting your guys ready, getting it, you know, set up for everything, and then also being being ready for the season and understanding you have to balance the growth of your players, that it is only week two, that you have an entire season, you need to win the Big 12, you need to do all these things, and, and, and mix that with being ready for Alabama and trying to push those together. Here's Stark talking about balancing the growth versus the opponent. We balance it by staying focused on what we need to do. You know, I think one of the things in, in these games is people always want us to talk about the opponent. And we got a good opponent. We, we understand that. They're, they're well coached. They're a good team. But for us to be at our best, we need to focus on what we need to do, not worry so much about what they're going to do or they might do. What, what are we going to do and how are we going to go about our business? Well, for us to go handle our business and to do that, we need to fix the issues that we had, and then we can pour into us even more to get ourselves ready to play. So that that side of it is is not that difficult that way. And when you when you continue to speak that way to the players and they understand that that idea is not going to change because it's Alabama one week or it was Rice the next week or whomever's down the road that we're consistent in our messaging, then it becomes normal for them. And that and that's how I felt like our players were today. You know, they they understand. They they want to be coached. They're a coachable team. They want to improve. Um, they want to see their mistakes, and then how can they improve that? Whether it's a fundamental ex- a mistake or a scheme mistake, and then how can they can improve that to be even a better player? Um, and I think our coaches do a good job of trying to illustrate that to them. And so that, that's what I saw today, that they were dialed into meetings. They went out to walk through into practice with, with a mentality to try to get better. So that is always a difficult part in these early season non-conference matchups is you understand this is a tone setter. This is a tone setter for the rest of, for the rest of your season. This is something that you really have to – you really need to get right in a lot of ways to make sure that it doesn't it doesn't hit into week four and week five. We know week three you're playing Wyoming. Who Look, they put it they, – they've already got one upset in their belt, so you can't take that off. But you don't want your your flaws to continue. You don't want your O-line to miss a, to miss a, a wide-open uh, linebacker that comes in and takes Quinn Ewers out for several weeks again. You don't want to do that. Now, there there is a benefit that <laughs> we – I let me knock on all the wood. And I know, again, I've, I've explained this before. It's about wood sprites and a thing, as I've said it before. But you, you have to knock on wood after you say it. But if the one benefit Texas has going in this year that didn't have last year is I don't know – Malik Murphy might be as big as a linebacker. So if it does come down to that – the def- the defensive players might be a little bit more scared of Malik Murphy, but, I, but we're not going to go there. We don't want to have anything bad happen to Quinn Ewers. But we can look at what this 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 means, and not only for your team going forward, but the recruits. Andrew Bone uh, at Andrew J Bone tweeted out the Alabama text list is absolutely insane. Between the twenty four and twenty six recruiting classes. There is currently 15 players ranked either number one or number two in the country at their position. More than 40 elite prospects confirmed with many more to add. That is going to be a 
fertile recruiting ground at the game for Alabama and Texas. You want to go out there and show out. And even if you do have that loss, and it is, you know, if it just happens and Alabama's a better team on the Saturday, it is what it is. You need to go out there and show that, no, you're hanging with the big boys. You are ready to play SEC football, that you are ready to be at that level. It is a big game for Texas in a lot of ways. However, you do have to protect yourself that you are going to have to play Big 12 football after this, and you need to get the growth in your team and you know figure out the, the problems on the O-line that, that was there. You're going to have to figure out, you know, you can't spend all week on that O-line solely working on what Alabama brings. You're going to have to work a little bit more on just picking out anything and, and getting a little bit wider variety there's just a lot that you have to work on in those in the next few days before you get to Alabama. It's a hard task, but to bandage, understanding, to put enough importance on this game in practice and in game planning, but to not overextend it to where you are now handicapping yourself that you basically have to unteach certain things that were solely for an Alabama game. But part of this is trying to coach things consistently throughout offseason. I think it's something that Sark has done well, and he's learned from his mentors in Pete Carroll and Nick Saban. He talks some about mentorship and coaching and all that, but one of the things he brought up I thought was interesting because it's definitely been seen at Texas is Saban's consistency. And this is something that Sark has really pushed on for Texas, and it's, it's showing, especially in the defense, a lot of rewards right now. Here's Sark on talking about Saban and his consistency and being able to continue to win at a high level. Uh, I think as far as Coach Saban, it's it's pretty remarkable what he has done. Um, when you think about the offensive coordinators, the defensive coordinators, the, the special teams coordinators, not to mention the position coaches that have come through, um, I think as a head coach, and you th- you know you think, man, if I could ever have the longevity that he'd have, man, I'd sure love to have that style of consistency. Uh, and I think it all goes back to him. He knows exactly who he is. Uh, he does not change for you. You're going to change for him. And inevitably, whether it's uh, the the system that you want to bring in to run on offense, defense, special teams, whatever that is, or how you want to coach a player. You're going to coach it the way he wants you to coach it, and you're going to you're going to call plays the way he wants you to call it, um, and that allows him to continue to coach everybody on the team, um, and and but yet, as the new face comes in, things don't change as much as you think because they're really ran his way, and um, again, that's a credit to him for sticking to it and not diverting from who he is. That right there, is really something that you can tell Sark got from Saban is consistency of not of keeping the same coaches but keeping his message in his way and I think it's something that why the coaches are staying with him is because they understand the messaging and they understand he he's hoping and his message to his coaches should be and seems to be I'm going to continue to coach my way and you guys are not going to have to leave because I fire you you're all going to leave when you get better jobs because that's what I that's how I left I left coaching with Saban because I got hired here. This is where I'm going to sit. All you guys are going to move up from where, I, where you're at right now, but part of that is I know you guys are going to be leaving, so we have to do everything the way I want to do them. On the flip of that, you have to learn from all of your from all of your, the, the coaches underneath you so you as a head coach can improve. That's the question of what can Sark do this season. 
is is Sark going to be able to continue to grow and learn from the coaches that are around him? Can you bring in a Paul Christ who is you know known for his his power run game? at Wisconsin and bring him in and let him teach you another part of this game and get you hyped up about doing it. Because until you're excited about running the ball through the tackles, running it through the guards, running, you know, running just kind of straightforward plays and plays that aren't necessarily explosive plays, which are Sark's favorite and not running something that's major, but are big things to help you win first and second down, help you beat down in a line so that you don't, when you go for it on fourth down like you did twice against Rice and didn't get it either time because your O-line didn't get the pressure, if you have a if you have a team that is building on that throughout the season, those fourth downs, those third short, third and shorts, you're able to pick up a lot easier because you, uh, you're starting to get excited about those plays. So you want to call them because you're excited at the results. You're excited at a five-yard run that you can get a, a, a C.J. Baxter or a Jonathan Brooks to pull their average up to five or six yards, and then they break one because, you know, they keep running at it. And you got two or three guys because we show, saw what Jaden Blue could do. I want to see if he can continue to get excited about other things. We saw him throw intermediate passes, and it worked really well against Rice. Can he be excited about doing that and grow from his coaches, grow from experience? We saw that we've known that Nick Saban can do that. So it is consistency that no matter who the offensive coordinator is, no matter who the defensive coordinator is, which is what Sark's telling you. I look, we know that Tommy Reese is coming in, but I know what happened when I came in as offensive coordinator at Alabama. I know what happened when I got there, says Sark. He says, I, I when I got there, Saban said, All right, how are you gonna do what we do better? Because we're still gonna do what we we do. And you're just have to do it better. But we're not changing up our philosophies. So he knows that going into these games, that even with the new OC and a new DC, he's got at least somewhat of a game plan to go against. And that goes into when he was asked, what do you know going into Bama? And what what do you what do you your head where your headspace is at with the team with the new OC, with the new DC? What do you know going into Bama? And I think what you take is they're gonna be well coached. Um, they're gonna give you a multitude of defenses, fronts, coverages, pressures. Um, uh, and they're going to play hard, <laughs> you know. I mean that 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 goes without saying. So, you know, you you try to you try to prepare the players for you know maybe some tendencies and some expectations of things they might get. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's you you got to earn what you get in this game, and you got to earn your yards, um, and that comes through execution. That's probably the biggest thing. You have to execute. There's not. The ball, you can't hope the ball is going to bounce the right way. You got to execute and, and you got you to run it right. You got to throw it right. You got to protect right. You got you to block right. And you got to do things the right way against this defense. They're going to make you earn it. But this is the edge that Sark has of knowing what a new offensive coordinator and a new coordinator at Alabama and a new coordinator under Nick Saban. He knows what the initial interview was, he knows what the meetings were, he knows what you're allowed to change and what you're not allowed to change. So what he knows going in is, you know, they're going to they're, they're gonna focus on certain things. But I've got a couple things in my hat that I know Nick Saban told me when I came in. We're still going to do this. We're still going to focus what we do. And now over time, they've gone away from the team that was producing, you know, just power backs. But that's because the game has changed. And Saban has changed with it. Sark is trying to change with the game as well. We hope he can continue to do it. But we've seen what's... Saban does enough that we have enough of a ballpark idea that we can prepare for this Alabama team 
and really hope that this is not a change where Saban decides he's going to allow his offensive and defensive coordinator to pull out something new. But he may because he knows that Sark knows the game plan if they stick to the bread and butter. We're going to take another break. When we come back, we'll read your answers on the Specs text line, 512-337-3776. 512-337-3776 is the text line. We are asking in honor of Jose Altuve putting up insane numbers these last few games because he likes to kill the ball in globe life. Who's the greatest male athlete of all time under 5'8"? We got some good answers so far. Hopefully we'll get some more here on the Sports Complex on the Horn, 1049-1019-1260, AM the Horn app, and at hornfm.com. The Sports Complex, afternoons 5 to 7 on the Horn. Back here on the Sports Complex, playing some working songs for you for Labor Day week. Some Rush there for you. They never thought I'd be playing Rush on the radio. Not the biggest fan of Geddy Lee's voice, but you know what? The band's good. Just can't stand the voice. Just can't stand the voice. You guys have been killing it on the Specs text line for us today. Uh, we are question a uh, big fat poll today today. Who is the greatest male athlete of all time under 5'8"? Uh, let's read some of your texts. You can join the conversation. 512-337-3776. Uh, Joe number two, Rod Babers. Joe, as he is 5'9". We know he was measured 5'10 when he was at uh, when he was at Texas, but they gave him 5'9". He's still above it. He's not. He doesn't fall into the short kink territory. Greatest athlete under 5'8", Messi. Le- Messi may have to run away with this one. You know, I, he kind of ruins the thing because he is so really good. But I couldn't go really much shorter than 5'8". 5'8 is right at a line where there's 5'8", there's even more people uh, that were doing pretty good. Bruce Lee is a good one. Bruce Lee, I believe, is 5'7". Uh, I didn't put him on my list, but I, I do like Bruce Lee on that list. Uh, is uh, Man, those old footage. Have you ever watched the old stuff of him working uh, training for Green Hornet? And all the stuff he – with the old footage where the, the – the aspect rate or whatever the the frame rate of the cameras wasn't good enough, so you know it just it literally looked like he wasn't even moving and he could do things crazy stuff with Bruce Lee. My pickleball five seven self, yeah no no you play pickleball you you're not in the conversation. No pickleball athletes, no cornhole athletes, no one on the ocho. The ocho does not get counted in our greatest athletes. Uh, Messi stands way above anybody. Uh, anybody even named, not an Astros fan, but Altuve is well on his way to the Hall of Fame. But Messi is a transcendent talent. He's one of a kind. Look, I get it. Messi is probably the guy he's running away with. I can't take him out of this conversation. I'm just relying on sports fans in Texas to not be soccer fans enough to give Altuve some votes. Uh, Chan, only male PD. Sexist? No. There's too many good athletes under 5'8 for women. That's why it's male. I had to put qualifiers on it. It's a baseball thing, too. When you put on qualifiers, I read a thing about Verlander and Scherzer, and it's like two players who are both uh, Cy Young winners who were played on the same team that season and then were playing uh, matched up against each other who on but not neither one on the team they just got traded. You're like, but at what point do we give up with the stat? 
when we're at the fifth qualifier, can we give up on the stat? It's not it's not as uh revolutionary as you thought it was. And Sugar Ray Leonard is 5'10. Manny Pacquiao, I think, is 5'5. So he's up there. Some good boxers up there as well. Mike Tyson is 5'10, so he's out of there, but I like I like where you're going. Uh Diego Maradona was 5'5 as well. Pele is 5'8. He's right on that line. Uh, but Messi's better than Maradona. We know that. Pele, you can have the argument. Uh, you can have the LeBron James, Michael Jordan. I don't know enough about soccer to be that guy. Muggsy is the best. Muggsy was awesome. Watching Muggsy Bogues play is just so much fun to watch someone that small play at that level. Tanya Harding is the toughest dude under 5'8". I think Tanya Harding's hitman is the toughest dude under 5'8". Willie Shoemaker, the jockey. Are we putting jockeys in on it now? <laughs> Manny Pacquiao in boxing. Uh, NASCAR Hall of Famer Jeff Gordon was 5'7". I mean, he did really well. I don't know enough about NASCAR. We put him in the messy range. I don't know enough. I know Messi is at another level. But, uh, yeah, the athlete thing with NASCAR drivers, yeah, it'll be another one. You tell me if NASCAR is an athlete. I, I don't know. It feels like it's wrong to say that, but then you see the stuff and the training they have to do, and then you look at them, and they don't look like it. But if we're calling kickers athletes, anybody can be. Angus Young. The Angus Young, Malcolm Young, and Brian Johnson. I like it. ACDC, I'm a fan of that. TJ Ford, there you go, Texas fans getting in there. I don't know if TJ Ford's under 5'8", though. I don't think he's under 5'8". I've met TJ Ford several times. I'm going to give him credit that he's over 5'8". Ray Mysterio, I'll go with that one, but he can't get his kid in line. you got to get Dominic in line to be the best. Muggsy, Muggsy, Bogues, Spud, Webb, Dunks. Barry Sanders has to be over 5'8". He has to be over 5'8". I don't know how tall Barry Sanders is, but he has to be over 5'8". And Bruce Lee with his Dunchuck videos where he's striking the matches, he is insane. Bruce Lee is insane. I like all of your texts, guys. It's going to be hard for me to narrow it down. I know Messi's on it. I know Altuve's on it. I don't know who else is going to be on this under 5'8 list of the best athletes of all time because I don't know. Muggsy's not on that level. Muggsy's not even, you know, he wasn't an all-star every year. Like, you have to get – I need somebody who's at the, the Hall of Fame level under 5'8 from basketball or, or football, and I don't think they exist – 75% of the cast at Willow. Solid D Fry. Solid one there. Uh, I don't know if they were athletes. Willow, they had a run in that movie. I, I don't know. We got to take another break. When we come back, uh, we're getting out early for Rangers and Astros. We'll read some more of your text. We will get through uh, a little bit of NFL news, and uh, we'll see where it goes from there. Uh, join the conversation. Tell us what you got and uh, your predictions. We're going to talk some predictions for the NFL as well. Give us some of your big predictions for the NFL. 512-337-3776 is where you can text it in. 512-337-3776. We'll read those texts. Come back with you uh, right here on the Sports Complex on the Horn, 1019 and 1260, the Horn app, and hornfm.com.